Hey, what's up? This is Michael Unbroken, host of the Think Unbroken podcast, and you are listening to The Shadows Podcast. Hey, Shadows listeners. If you're looking to make some extra income that also impacts people, then you need to look at becoming a certified leadership coach with Giant. If you don't already know, Giant has been in the leadership space for over 13 years. I got certified through Giant in 2018, and I've been teaching ever since. Just to give you some context, they used to own and operate the John Maxwell brands. They ran the LeaderCast conferences where Jim Collins, Henry Cloud, Malcolm Gladwell, and Simon Sinek, just to name a few, were regular speakers. They have over 500 coaches worldwide, working in over 127 countries, and are being hired by companies like Google, Chick-fil-A, Pfizer, Delta, and more. And yes, you can do this too. I know this might sound intimidating, but Giant will literally give you everything you need to start your own coaching business from scratch. You get hands-on training from top-level coaches to learn the exact methodology and tools that six-figure coaches are using. You get an all-in-one online platform to run your entire coaching business, even if you wanna work 100% remotely and you'll get to join a thriving community of coaches from all around the world. To get started, Giant is hosting a coaching business workshop to help you learn the ins and outs of how to build a successful coaching business. This is both for experienced coaches, consultants, and those who are looking to start coaching and consulting with little to no experience. If you wanna hear the really good news, this whole workshop, it's free, 100% free. And you can reserve your spot by going to giant.tv forward slash shadows. Why not give it a shot? What's better than making a positive change in people's lives and making some extra money in the process? Giant launches a new hiring cohort every month. Now, they only have 20 coaching slots available each month. So it's first come first serve. So go ahead and make sure you reserve your spot. If you're ready to make an impact and get paid doing it, Go to giant.tv forward slash shadows, giant.tv forward slash shadows. Yeah, if if you don't mind, you said father was born in Latvia and mother was in a yeah, father's born in Latvia, mother was born in Estonia. They, uh, he was a farmer in Latvia. And uh, in 1938, Hitler and Stalin uh, signed a non-aggression pact with each other. And part of the deal of signing that was that Latvia went to the Soviet Union mm-hmm. and part of Poland went to Germany, but there was nobody from Poland or Latvia at the meeting. So they just took it basically because they could. And my father loved Russians and hated communism because communism took everything away from everybody. And so he left Latvia because they were going to come and they were going to take his farm away. So he got given a farm in Poland. And he ended up, I was born on a stolen farm. The farmer who owned the farm was his farmhand in Poland. And so that was a little bit of tense. So they said, listen, this this is a farm. Let's run the farm the best we can. And this is a crazy war that we're in. And when all that stuff settles out, then we'll sort it out. And so they worked together really well, became good friends. 
And he then helped us get out of Poland at the end of the war when the communists were chasing us in tanks and trucks. And we were on uh, dirt roads on uh, horse-drawn hay wagons, mostly mothers with young children. Mm -hmm. And there was no military presence on those roads. And the allies were using us refugees as target practice, shooting us from planes. These were the, these were the, the good guys. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, we eventually got out and I, I got left behind because my mother couldn't handle the road. There were dead horses and dead people in the ditches and it was safer to go through the fields, even though it was winter, than to stay on the roads. So she left four of the kids she had behind, went with two through the, through the fields, and we eventually got reunited by her mother, who uh, heard what had happened. And it was a, I mean, it was a crazy time. Can you imagine a mother ha having to make the choice to leave two of her kids behind to save the other two? Can imagine. It was like, holy smokes. How long was it before you got reunited with her? I, it was a matter of weeks, two or three okay. weeks. I was two and a half, so uh, it was probably a pretty intense time. <laughs> Where the hell's mom? <laughs> you know. Oh yeah, especially that age. Yeah, yeah. So, what do you remember? Yeah, and, like? and I just remember not not never feeling safe, and yeah. I carried that with me for a long time into adulthood. Not feeling safe, not knowing what I could depend on. Yeah. You know, and getting being very uneasy when people got emotional, intense. Yeah. And when I was six, I the thought came to me, man, the, when I watched people arguing, it was stuff they argued about was really trivial to me as a six-year-old. Mm -hmm. And my thought, the thought came, man, there must be a way that people can live in harmony. And this little cocky voice had said, and I'm going to find out how. As and a six-year-old. And that became my driver. Yeah. So then I went into science to understand how things work, because when you know how things work, then there's a certain amount of predictable predictability in an unpredictable life. Yeah. And then I went into uh, biological sciences to understand how creatures work. And then I went into psychology to understand how thinking works, all in the service of how could, how could human beings live together in harmony. And then I got into medicine, but that was just about disease. So I went back into biological sciences because you learn more about health in biological sciences than in medicine. Medicine's focused on disease. But biological science is based on how things work in normal situations and how creatures work in normal situations. So I ended up in biochemistry and genetics. And uh, then I eventually I got my marriage fell apart and I got poisoned by pesticide. I, sorry, my marriage fell apart and I was really upset. So I took a job as a pesticide sprayer and I was really careless. And then after three years of doing that, I got poisoned. And that's when I began to use the background I had in biological sciences to understand how health works and to figure out how to, how to basically reverse my, uh, the cancer I had to look forward to. So much to unpack. Just off <laughs> yeah, there's a couple five of minutes, there. right? If, if that, geez. Yeah. Uh, so post-World War II, where did y'all yeah. live afterwards? We, uh, we made it, we, we went west from, uh, Poland into Germany because we okay. had German background. My father was a German prisoner of war uh, uh, in a in a. Actually, he was in a prisoner of war camp run by the Red Cross in Alabama, and he picked peaches. This is what he told us. We're in Alabama. Uh, he didn't tell me. 
Okay. And I, I'm not sure that he knew because his, his English was not that good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he, when they went, when they, he, he was taken, taken prisoner in Normandy. He was a, a translator, so he wasn't a soldier as much as a, an interpreter. And, uh, and then he got shipped to Alabama, but they went through Quebec. And Quebec, he saw the vegetation in Quebec. It was a lot like it was in Latvia. Mm-hmm. And he came up with the, the idea came to him. If I survive this war, I'm going to Canada. And mm-hmm. so when he when he came back in 1946, it took us uh, six years to get through the bureaucracy to emigrate from Germany to Canada. Where in Germany did you live? Uh, we lived outside of Dusseldorf. Oh, I'm very familiar with where that was. I was actually at a station in Spangdalem, so right outside of Trier. So probably about two hours away. Oh, the Trier, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Loved it. Uh, they also had a they also had a, a camp, uh, a a military camp outside of Dusseldorf. Mm-hmm. It had a big fence around it, and the soldiers would cut out cars out of magazines, and they would collect them and they would give them to us kids. Like I was six, you know, like between six, six, seven, eight years old. Really? And they would, and they were just nice to us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? They they won the war and we lost the war, but they were really nice to us kids. That's that's uh, good. Very to hear. interesting, huh? I said that's actually good to hear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Growing up, you had some brief jobs. I got this from your website, which we'll mm-hmm. we'll give out just a little bit here. Fruit picking, dairy farming, logging, mining, carpentry, carpentry house painting clearing land burning brush yeah growing fruit or food uh and then pesticides it's like the the epitome of like manly jobs <laughs> well, was this all like as a teenager and early adulthood this was yeah this was after i left university um oh. and the idea was you know i wasn't looking for a job so much as i wanted to know and again you know i talked about we talked about I, w- I was trying to understand how people could live together in harmony. Yeah. And one of the parts of do, uh, dealing with that, trying to figure it out is I got, it got in my head one day that, you know, I'd like to know what it feels like to be in the shoes of the people who are doing all these various jobs. Mm-hmm. And aside from it being really interesting, the learning that takes place at the beginning of a job, was also really interesting to me. What does it feel like to be in a situation like that? And I wasn't, it was not a career move. I just wanted to, I just wanted to know it from experience. Because yeah. if somebody told me what it's like, you know, that's just head trip. That's just talk. That's just words. Yeah. I wanted to feel it. I wanted to know what it feels like. And a lot of what came out of the war for me was not trusting what people say or the words you read but wanting to have my own experience so that I could make up my own mind about what that was. And I could put it in words. That's not the problem, but I wanted to have the feeling. Mm-hmm. And that's still, you know, I always want to have the feeling. You know, my, my question in religion was, what did Jesus feel that enabled him to do what he did and say what he did and heal like, like he did, you know, and go through what he did? what did he feel like or you read poetry you know you say what did the poet feel that inspired this poetry well i want to have that feeling because then i could write my own poetry yeah right? yeah i mean 
what's incredible about your story, just hearing it so far, I mean, we're, we're barely scratching the surface is mm-hmm. uh, childhood trauma is real. Then oh, for sure. you, oh, you for mentioned sure. it with, the, with the fear, but it seems like you, you at a very young age without any sort of, uh, I mean, you mentioned six years old. It's like your mind, you just had, had naturally a curious mind. And but 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 at six year olds, kids do. Yeah, yeah, and exactly and until until you know parents come with their ideas and then they Start hammer planning. it out of them. You know, first they say you can be anything you want, and then you when dream. you become a teenager and you have some, some wild ideas, they say, "Hey, you got to be realistic, calm down." Yeah. <laughs> and then they kind of, you know, first they tell you dream, and then they say, "Don't dream." Yeah, (laughs) and you 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 never really calmed down. You kept dreaming, and I never calmed down. And part (laughs) of it was I, you know, my mother had had to leave me behind, so there was a certain amount of trust missing. Yeah, yeah, I would say, not in any. I had I didn't work it out for myself, but I was like, I was a little standoffish, Mm -hmm. and my father and I didn't get along for most of my life, and that came because when he first met me, I was eighteen months old. He told me this. Okay. Shortly before he died, so he came. He was he came on furlough from the war. He knew he had a kid, so he knew who I was. I had no clue who he was, so I was in the room, and he came came into the room, and he swooped down and picked me up, and it scared the hell out of me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, who's this giant? <laughs> you know, hasn't introduced himself. I yeah. don't know who this is. Hasn't let me get used to him. So he's picking me up because I'm his kid. And he said, when I started screaming, he said, the thought went through his head, I will never get along with this kid. And then we played that out for 40 years. Wow. And I could never do anything right for him. So, and I I never understood why I could never do anything to please him. And then eventually I gave up. And when he told me that, I was so grateful because it's like, okay, now I understand why nothing was ever good enough because he had this foregone conclusion that came from that one experience that he held on to, and it might have been subconscious for him as well. Yeah. Right? But I was really grateful that he told me because it just totally made me understand why why we had such a difficult childhood. And of course, when I got a little older, I, I gave him back what I was getting, you know, so I didn't make the, <laughs> I didn't make the relationship better either. Right. Which is understandable. I mean, going through that. Yeah. But at least Teenager. you got that sense of closure. Teenager. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was big. What, what, what does it mean to you knowing you have that now and you don't have to? Some people don't get that closure. Uh, well, you know, I would like to step into the people who are listening who don't have that closure and be the person that they would have got that closure from. Mm-hmm. There's never, ever been anything wrong with you, ever, no matter what you've been told or what you've told yourself. Or, you know, even though you've had bad feelings that led to bad thinkings, that led to bad speakings, that led to bad actions, that hurt people, that had bad outcomes, but you're not any of that. You're not the feelings, you're not the thinking, you're not the words, you're not the actions. You're actually life, and there's absolutely nothing wrong ever with life. And because you are life, the closer you come to experiencing yourself as that energy, the more you will discover that your nature is unconditional, empowered love. No matter what your story is, what your past is, what your history is, where you've been, what stuff you've done, even if you're in a jail and you're going to be there forever, 
you know, that there's something in a human being that is not affected by anything they do. And it's deeper than most of us go, which is why most of us miss that. And that's where the closure is. When I'm in touch with what is whole in me, I have closure on anything that ever happened. And I can, I can say without being, you know, without trying too hard, yeah. every human being on this planet is doing the best they can given where their focus is. And, you, and we can improve that by taking to our focus to a better place. And that better place that we will always have access to is deeper within our own being. God lives there. Christ lives there. Inspiration lives there. Unconditional love lives there. Uh, peace lives there. You know, a, a peace that isn't based on ceasefires, but a peace that is a presence of something in every human being, warrior, soldier, criminal, you know, rich kid, poor kid, black kid, white kid, you know, it doesn't matter what the story is. Every human being has, is built that way. And uh, how we get this, wor this world where everybody lives in harmony, we will get closer and closer to that world as we get closer and closer to feeling the unconditional peace and unconditional love and inspiration and purpose that is built into us from the beginning and is always there and takes us through all our, you know, I was in the war, right? So I could complained about the war for a long time. And one day I realized I was like 26 or 27. The war ended when I was three. So I've, I've still been bitching about the war for 23 yeah. years. And one day I sat in the sunshine and I realized, Oh my God, the whole time that I've been complaining and even through the time that was really difficult, something took perfect care of me. And I have never given that any acknowledgement ever in my life. And I was like, oh my God, if, if, that, took, if that took perfect care of me, and it did because I never got killed, right? Yeah. I survived the war. So something took perfect care of me through all my fears and all of that crazy stuff. That's pretty, that's a pretty good friend. And maybe, just maybe I should get to know it a little bit better. Yeah. And maybe at least get to know it enough to say, Hey, thank you. Thank you that you've been very kind to me. Your father relocated. Was it Ontario or was it Quebec? Where exactly? No, he, no, when he was, uh, when he was being taken prisoner of war, he got, taken prisoner of war in uh, Normandy. Mm -hmm. And he was then shipped to a Red Cross run prisoner of war camp in Alabama. He said he picked, picked peaches there. Did he go through Quebec? He went through Quebec. Yep. And he saw Quebec and the vegetation in Quebec was like the vegetation uh in uh, latvia where he came from because it's a sort of similar latitude and there's yeah. aspens and birches he loved birch trees okay and when he saw that he said if i survive the war we're gonna go i'm gonna go to canada you ended and up so in went, canada hmm? you ended up in canada correct yeah but he went to british columbia because we had people who would who sponsored us to to uh make sure we don't become a burden on the government okay so he went of more towards of vancouver yeah, when, yeah, we came to the Okanagan, which is uh, east of Vancouver, about uh, 200 miles. 
okay. in, a, in, a, in a fruit growing valley. And then one year after that, he went 500 miles north, halfway up the province of British Columbia and bought uh, 112 acres for $960. That's a good deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, and that was all just bushland, and then we cleared forty acres by hand and by horse, and uh, built the house. You know, did everything ourselves. No, no chainsaws, no uh, tractors. It was all hand. You know, he said character building, so we. That's why I'm such a character. <laughs> so we lived there without electricity and without running water. We used to use an outhouse at forty below. Needless to say, you don't. Uh, spend a lot of time in the outhouse at 40 below. The, the one part I, I wanted just to talk about, I'm going to, I'm going to read this to mm -hmm. our listeners here, but uh, you mentioned the psychedelics, you couch surfed, you traded Winchester 30, 30 for uh trumpet that you played mm -hmm. after a few drinks of Southern comfort, Southern comfort, <laughs> in flute and harmonica sang in a choir, but more often the shower hitchhiked from Toronto to vancouver without a penny to your name uh which i want to ask about that camped out started mm -hmm. a nude beach uh let's see and lived i'm, I'm curious how you start a nude beach um mm -hmm. but but uh, then, we can we can go there mm -hmm. yeah live lived in uh co-ops communes apartments houses with rural and urban settings it was wild but it was fun was that all the 60s uh majority of, yeah yeah, like a lot of it was in the 60s. Well, it says here, yes, you even got married, lover of biology. And you, you, this is what I wanted to talk about. You attended the home births of your mm -hmm. three children. Mm -hmm. And even though you met your wife did all the work, uh, you had some small contributions, uh, but it was to catch them, tie and cut their cords and return them to the rightful owner, their mom. Mm. Where to start with this? That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lifetime for most people. Um, but let's talk about the the first one, the hitchhiking from Toronto to Vancouver. Without right. I, I've heard Canadians are like the nicest people on the face of the earth. But hitchhiking yeah, until you, until you piss them off. <laughs> Quebec. But, I had some, but that's I had true for Americans. But that's true for Americans too. <laughs> I've had run-ins with with uh, people in Quebec, but. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Ontario, they were the nicest that they possibly could have been to me. How in the world did you hitchhike from Toronto on one side of Canada all the way to the other in Vancouver without? A yeah, I was in I was in Toronto and I lived in Vancouver, and I'd gone there for some reason, and I decided, you know, I wonder what it's like to be to have no money and hitchhike and go across the country. It was an adventure, and I was putting some things to the test. I, I did quite a bit of experimenting. And taking risks, because you know it could that could out, turn out badly. So what I did is I had a dollar thirty nine in my pocket, and I gave it to a homeless man. And then I got on the road and hitchhiked. And the first day I hitchhiked in the wrong direction, and it ended up in London, Ontario, on the U.S. border. Yep. And it took me the rest of the day to get back to Toronto. So I already blew a day. Yep. <laughs> and then I hitchhiked, and I, you know, people in the sixties, it was different. It was easier. I mean, people hitchhiked in the U.S. too. It was safer. It was easier. It was a good time in history to be doing experiments. And I got picked up and people fed me. And I didn't, you know, I didn't whine about not having anything to eat or anything. We just were talking. We're having conversations like you and I yeah. are having. Some of them were quite 
inspiring because one of the things we learned when we hitchhiked around is you would meet people and you know you would only ever see them that one time and so we got to into the thing of what can we share that would be most valuable mm. in this time that we have that we'll never have again and so i had those kinds of conversations and uh then i got eventually i got picked up by a gay man who got a hotel room but he had a he actually wanted to sleep with me but he didn't tell me that so we had a <laughs> a somewhat uncomfortable conversation yeah that could go awkward i could i could see yeah yeah and and then he left in the morning he left i was still sleeping he he got dressed and left left me in the room and so i i came out of the room and then i was um really hungry and uh i walked down the road and i saw a a a brown paper bag on the middle of the road right on this white stripe on the on the road and what's a bag doing in the middle of the road i went and picked up the bag and there were two donuts in that bag and they were still warm well i don't know why i'm thinking of like roadrunner wally coyote like the trap sitting right there Yeah, and then so that was that was. I mean, I I'm not a donut. I don't recommend donuts for most times, but at that point, that was that's what there was. Yep. And then I found a sugar cube at the side of the road, you know, still wrapped. Somebody probably thrown something out the window. That was my breakfast that day. Yeah, when you're and, when uh, you're negative dollar thirty nine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so. Uh, you know, I even ate out of garbage cans one summer. I just wanted to prove how rich our garbage cans are. And I, I, I was able to be on a fresh plant-based diet out of garbage cans. Wow. In the city of Vancouver. You know, those were formative years. I did, I did crazy things. How long did it take you to hitchhike? Six days. That's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's about standard. Okay. Yeah. Uh, incredible journey before I get in before we jump into the 80s uh, mm-hmm. and everything that happened with the pesticides talk to us about delivering three kids home births okay. how in the world was that well I, I studied biology and it didn't seem to me like you know talk about again my my father and I didn't get along so well I had yep. to think for myself I studied biology and I said, why is, why, why is pregnancy a disease? Pregnancy is not a disease. Pregnancy is a natural occurrence. Mm-hmm. It's not like cancer and cardiovascular disease or arthritis. Right. It's a natural development of a human being. And my, uh, the mother of my children had wide hips. That's a sign that uh, childbirth might be easier. And I knew that. And I felt that if there was something that needed attention that we couldn't give it naturally, I felt that we would have known that. And so we just basically, the first, the son was born in a tent. I cut the cord with an ax. And when I say that, people picture like, ha, like this, but it wasn't like that. The ax was- I was picturing your logging days. Yeah, yeah, no. You know, it was just like the, the ax head was between my knees and I just, I just snipped the cord on the axe because that's that's what I had right I didn't have a pair of scissors I didn't have a knife and uh you know and the process is 
so well developed. Again, talk about miracle. You know, conception is a miracle. Pregnancy is a miracle. The birth process is a miracle. The fact that the cord ties off the blood, you know, the blood comes through the umbilical cord when the child's in the womb, right? Mm -hmm. But when it comes out, then the cord actually, it's like when a leaf in fall puts wax in between it and the branch and then falls off the branch. Mm -hmm. Well, that happens with the umbilical cord where your belly button is. It dry, and then it dries up and falls off. Yeah. So this is all natural processes. You don't need somebody who, who went to school for eight years in history and then studied medicine to know that. But a little biology is helpful. So I, I, I was very comfortable with it. And, the, it's, and it's a miracle. Well, and like I say, the lady does all the work. I got to cut the cord and I get, got to do that catch the baby but the women do all the work and and the whole that whole process you know i mean i'm i'm clearer about it now that i'm 80 than i was when i at that time but why why we don't just say okay how can i help how can i help because women you know they say among lions and humans women do all the work (laughs) right my wife and i were talking to a doctor and uh she was saying that, you know, just everything that goes into it for everything. This is not to scare or deter any parents, but, uh, you know, we talk about childbirth is, is a miracle of life and everything. But she said, it's crazy what all has to take place for a oh, child. For sure. to be. And, oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and she said, it's just, it's, it's truly yeah. a miracle when you really, and I never really thought about it that way. Um, yeah. but yeah, that's huge props for, yeah. You know, and, and that was we're, now we're making our way into the 80s here. Yeah, but now this. now don't, uh, uh, you know, I just want to say, don't just assume that you know what childbirth is. I was very comfortable with it because I had studied biology. I was pretty good at it. Yeah, so nobody going to your kitchen. And I'm try not saying everybody it. should do that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, but if you can be at the birth, you know, there is a. There's a guy in the set in the 60s who wrote a book called Monday Night Class. He said, if you were there when it went in, you should be there when it comes out. Yeah. His his wife was a midwife. And so they talked about the birth process. And they said, as a father, why not welcome your child into the world when your oh, yeah. when your wife delivers it? Best feeling in the if, if anyone if if you have the option, be there because I still remember yeah. every second of Becton being born to this. Yeah, family. yeah. And- but I have one more thing that happened in the before the eighties. Oh yeah. So I, in my late twenties, I got into, uh, I started thinking, you know, nobody remembers my grandfather and he hasn't been dead for 50 years. I don't remember his name. He died before I was born, mm-hmm. but they're still talking about this guy called Jesus. Why, yeah. why, why are they still talking about this guy? 2000 years later and nobody remembers this other guy who hasn't been dead for 50 years. I want to know what the difference is. You know, crazy questions in a way, right? But it just occurred to me. And then I sort of started thinking about how am I going to figure it out? And I got the red letter edition of the Bible where everything Jesus says is in red ink and everything else is in black ink. It's one of the versions of the St. John's edition of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and 
And when I started reading it, there was some poetry there. I said, wow, what did these people experience that made them write what they wrote? Because it's, it's, it's inspiring, it's uplifting, it's, it's, it's enthusiastic, it's poetic. And I said, I want to know what the feeling was. First for John in the Gospel of John. And then after that said, why am I stopping at John? I want to know what Jesus felt. That made him what he was. Nobody said that wasn't possible. And so I started trying to figure out how to do that. And I put some some of the, the quotes, some of his quotes into practice and took some risks that if what he said wasn't true, th- that wouldn't work out so well for me. Yeah. And I had magical experiences. It was like went on for about six months. What's and then one, one day, hmm? I, it's coming. It's okay. coming. And then one, one day I heard about these people who came up the coast from California that called themselves the Jesus People's Army. And I should have, you know, I think about it now, I think I should have been warned by the word army because army was not a really good term in my life experience because I came out of the war, right? Mm-hmm. But I missed the cue. So they came up and they said, oh, we they had a, ran a coffee house and they invited people to come to the coffee house. And so I thought, well, I guess these are people who are trying to figure out just like I am. We're all going to get together. We're all going to tell our stories of what we've learned and the experiences we've had. And we're all going to walk out of there enriched and keep going on this journey that we're on. So that's what I thought it was, right? So yeah. I went to the coffee house. I sat down at the table and this guy swooped into the chair next to me and I didn't introduce myself. I just looked him in the eyes and I said, it must be possible to see God and live. Because when I was a kid, we were told if you see God, you die. Mm-hmm. But there were people in the Old Testament who saw God and lived. So and then it's like, well, wait a minute. This is supposed to be my father. He's supposed to love me unconditionally. He created me. He does everything for me. And then if I see him, he kills me. And it's like, uh, that's, that's, that doesn't sound right. Well, so I said that to him. You know, it must be possible to see God and live. Well, he jumped out of the chair and his arms were flailing around. And he was yelling at the top of his lungs, you're from the devil, you're from the Antichrist, get out. <laughs> so I go slinking out of there and I'm standing on the sidewalk in the dark and I say, well, I haven't seen God. And uh, maybe I'm asking a question I shouldn't be asking because we were also told that, that there's some questions you shouldn't ask. Yeah. And then I, what I used to do whenever I got really, things got really crazy in the city, I used to go out into nature, clear my head. So I went out to nature, west coast of Vancouver Island, wreck, uh, it's a beach that's completely deserted. It was at that time, logs on the beach and somebody had draped plastic over these logs and made a little dwelling. And in, I, I decided that's where I'm gonna stay the weekend and so I got into the place and I fell asleep. And in the middle of this, the, uh, the night, I will bolt upright from dead asleep. And there was this being made of light right there. No label on it, just made of light. Couldn't tell if it was male or female. Couldn't tell if it was old or young, but human being made of light, very bright. 
embodied a message, but didn't say anything. So I could put words to the message that it embodied, and the words were, I am come not to judge, but to love. I am come not to judge, but to love. And all that confusion and desperation that I felt after being so harshly <laughs> judged by this, right. this guy. Kicked out of the coffee house. Yeah. Disappeared. Instantly dissolved. I have never had a question. What was the central message of that master, Christ, or any of the other masters? They all said in one way or another, I am come not to judge, but to love. Oh. And then I started thinking about, well, who was this? Was this Jesus or was this my spirit? Was this life? You know, because there wasn't a label there. And it turns out they're all the same. The message of the masters to humanity, I am come not to judge, but to love. And the message of life, which is the master in your body, to every one of your 60 trillion cells, I am come not to judge, but to love. Life loves your body unconditional, and life and Christ and Buddha and Krishna, they're all synonyms. And that, that, I think that one experience reset my entire life. Wow. Changed my identity and kind of created the track that I've been on ever since. And then I started, you know, and I, I've, I've learned from that one experience. I still learn from it because the implications of that experience and, that's, and that message are super profound. Yeah. Wow. What, so, did did and, you ever figure out what happened with the army? No. I, I, needless to say, I didn't go back. Yeah. Had a little little Heaven's Gate, you know, Waco feel of come come join us. It, it was like that. They were born again. They were very fundamentalist Christians. Yeah. And there's groups like that around. Yeah. You okay. know, and, and I think their coffee house was not about let's all share, the, you know, share the stories of our search and of our experiences uh, they were coming to enroll people mm -hmm. in something that is cut and dried yeah and that's not you know your 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 relationship with your creator is supposed to be a live one yeah not memorize a bunch of stuff you know and then every time something comes up you just you just parrot out the stuff well, I think that's what David Koresh was really known for too, is he would he knew the Bible so well mm -hmm. that he could just spit it back verbatim and expand upon things to where people were like, No one possibly knows it this well. Yeah. You you must be a disciple. Um, I mean it's just it's, can, it's yeah, can I can I make Absolutely. a suggestion here? Yeah. So Koresh, I think, was a guy who had some experiences, like genuine experiences yeah from interest for whatever however that happened mm -hmm. but there's a <clears throat> we used to have schizophrenics that would stand on the side of a of a block on the corner of a block and yell you know on a box and yell i am jesus christ i am jesus christ we have one at target okay Here. and so yeah. if you and you would listen if you listen to the tone in which they say it they're saying i'm jesus christ 
but the tone says, and you're not. Mm -hmm. Now, if, if this guy understood that what he's saying sort of can be true, sort of, you know, if he said, I am Jesus Christ, and so is everybody else, Ah, that would be different. See, because he, but he was doing a, I'm better than you are. Yeah. And I think, I think Koresh got caught up in that. And then he collected yeah. followers and then he became their, their leader. Mm-hmm. But that kind of leadership, and we have it in our governments too, is the, is an arc, it's an archaic kind of leadership that is meant only for uh, projects or crisis situations. Not 24 7, 365. A lifestyle, yeah. Because the, because the leader is life, and the master is life, and the CEO is life, and the benevolent dictator is life inside of every human being, 8 billion people. If 8 billion people were in touch with that leader inside of them, we would all be following the same leader and that leader would be giving us our instructions for how to navigate the trench that we live in Yeah, perfectly because life never steers you wrong. But we have a guy in Ottawa, you know, and he wants to tell everybody what they should do in their bedroom or what they should do in their kitchen or when and where and whose injections they should take, hmm. right? And but he doesn't even know enough to to keep. You know, yeah. you can't even you can't even really run your own family. Why? Because your wife's master lives inside of her. Your master lives inside of you. Same master, but different body. Your every child has the master living in them. And the more we encourage the people to, to ask their questions about how to live life inside to the master that is living it, the better our social situations will turn out. Because then we're not, because if we have a leadership where I think, I think I got to tell you how you should live your life. And then they give me a hammer because if you don't live your life the way I want you to heat it, then I get to hit you on the kneecap, right? That's not the way you build a social system of of harmony. Make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. No. Next thing I want to talk about is you mentioned your marriage uh, fell apart and then you ended up getting a job. Uh, with pesticides and which ultimately leads you into uh, following your passion for health. If yeah. you could kind of unpack that story for us, for yeah. us how that unfolded. Yeah. So I, so my marriage broke up and uh, I was really upset that we had three kids, so four, two, and one and marriage fell apart. I wanted to kill something and I had a, I had a license to spray pesticides from a gardening job that I did. So I took a full-time job as a pesticide sprayer and I was super careless. I sprayed lawns with a tractor and a, and a boom on the back. And uh, I would walk barefoot over the, the lawn that I'd sprayed. And then the, my skin peeled off the back of my feet. 
off the bottom of my feet. So I started wearing rubber boots, but I was a summer job and I like to get a tan because I'm light skinned and I like always wanted to be darker than I was. And so I did it in a bathing suit, wearing rubber boots, little tractor with a tank. Mm -hmm. And a uh, uh, person I worked with, she said, aren't you worried you're going to get poisoned? And I said, nah, I'm immune. I wasn't immune. This we, we call that testosterone poisoning. A lot of us, yeah. Poisoned by their own testosterone until they hit their first crisis, their first disaster that created out of their attitude. It'll never happen so, to me. Yeah, yeah, and and so I got poisoned by pesticides, and uh, I had uh, a dr a nausea, dizziness, cramps, uh, and my energy went through the floor. And mm -hmm. I always had lots of energy. I was thirty-eight years old. I, if I walked around a city block, I would have to sit down and rest. So I was like an eighty-year-old. I'm eighty now. I have more energy now than I had when I was 38. Wow. And I went to the doctor said, what have you got for pesticide poisoning? She said, nothing. That was the, that was so simple. Oh my God, my health is my responsibility. If I don't care about it, maybe nobody does. Yeah. What do I need to do? And I started reading everything I could about health and nutrition, disease and nutrition, ended up working in the area of oils because it's really confusing because they would say, one study says omega-6 is essential. That means you can't make it in your body, but you have to have it to live and be healthy. So it has to come from outside. Mm -hmm. If you don't get enough, your, your health deteriorates. If you don't get enough long enough, you die. These are like the essential building blocks for body construction. And then the third part of it is that if you're not getting enough and your health is going down, but you bring back enough of the essential nutrient that's too low before you die, because by death, by definition, is not reversible, then all of the problems that come from not getting enough are reversed. So essential nutrients, 18 minerals, 13 vitamins, nine essential amino acids, and two essential fatty acids. Follow that description. And that's all been figured out by researchers, by making diets that have the stuff in them, and then they take the stuff out, but everything else is in it, and see what happens. And if nothing happens, then it's not an essential nutrient. But if, if your health deteriorates and the, the animal dies, then this was something essential that it was deprived of that then went on the list of essential nutrients. Mm. And so they say, okay, omega-6 is an essential nutrient. You got to have it to live. And the next study I read, omega-6 gives you cancer and kills you. And I'm going, what? Yeah. Omega, you know, you can't have it both ways. It's, it's required for health and it kills you. You know, that's like the God story, right? Yeah. He loves me unconditionally, but if I see him, he kills me. Yeah. <laughs> so this is another story like that. And it said, well, you can't be both. And that made me look deeper. And I realized that the oils are the most sensitive of our nutrients. They're damaged by light, by oxygen, and by heat. They need the most care of anything, any of our foods. And we give them the least care. When they're made by industry, they treat them with very harsh chemicals, sodium hydroxide and phosphoric acid. Then they bleach them. Then they go rancid and smell bad. So now they heat them to frying temperature to get rid of the bad odor. And now you have a normal cooking oil, the colorless, odorless, tasteless cooking oils. They put them in plastic bottles. And the plastic leaches into the oil because oil swells plastic. 
and there's pesticides in the oil because they don't start with organically grown seeds. So you're getting all this damaged oil and in the process of making it about 1%, half to 1% of the oil molecules are damaged. And so then it's like, oh, well, that's not much. And that's what the guy I talked to the, the industry. He said, well, it's only 99%. And hey, you know, if you got 99% on an exam, you'd be damn happy, wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, I used to get 100% in, in genetics, so I wasn't impressed with it. And I got 99.5% on my pesticide spraying exam. So I wasn't impressed with his 99, but I thought, well, 1%, maybe that's, maybe, maybe I'm just overreacting. So then I said, okay, let me do the math. So if you have a tablespoon of an oil that is 1% damaged by the processing, how many damaged molecules do you think would be in that tablespoon? Just give me a guess. Uh, we'll go with 100. 100, okay. Yep. So 100's got two zeros, right? Yep. You need to add 17 zeros to your number and a six in front of it. Okay. So you underestimated that by, yeah. by quadrillion times. And why is that? It's because molecules are really, really small. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of molecules fit into, into, a tables, into a tablespoon. But when I ask this question, when I talk to people, they're always at least a billion times too low, their estimates. So what does that mean? It means that when you're using those oils, you're getting a billion times more damage than you think you're getting. Hmm. hmm. And there's research that shows, no, and that's before you fry the oil, right? Because when you fry the oil, you damage it with light, oxygen, heat, all at the same time. Frying is the most health-destroying habit that we have ever invented in all the time that we've been on this planet. It is absolutely a disaster from a health perspective. And nature's mandate for creatures is fresh, whole, raw, organic. That's the standard. Mm-hmm. for every creature except us every step we take away from that standard will eventually cost us something in the body not working properly because it was made and the genetic program was made and life does that job best the closer we live in line with nature and with our nature so i found that out i said oh my god i can't get healthy on oils like that we should make them with health in mind so I developed a method for making oils in, with health in mind where the seeds and nuts, whatever we're using as to get the oil out of, yeah. <clears throat> are protected from light, from oxygen, and from heat through the pressing, the filtering, the settling, the filling. They go in brown glass bottles. We put a box around the bottle. We keep it refrigerated. We start with organically grown seeds. And we make sure that omega-3 and 6, the two essential fatty acids, are in the right ratio. And then we, it's, it's refrigerated in the factory. It's refrigerated in the stores. If it's more than two weeks in transit, we ship it refrigerated. At home, you refrigerate it. You never, ever, ever, ever use oils made with health in mind for frying because you wreck them when you do that. So you go back to cooking in water and you put oil on the food after it comes off the heat source because oils enhance flavors. That's why we like oils in foods. And they improve the absorption of oil soluble nutrients, which are some of the most healthy nutrients in all of our foods. And so you take about a two, two to four tablespoons a day 
and you dump, you stop using the, un, the, the damaged, colorless, odorless, tasteless oils that everybody's using because they're all damaged the same way and they all have pesticides in them, unless it says organic and unless it says unrefined. But there's still there's so much wrong with that industry. And the processing, you know, why omega-6s are essential and then they give you cancer? It's because the processing damage done to the oils. Yeah. And now there are people saying you shouldn't use any oils. No, you should use oils made with health in mind. You should not use oils that were made for long shelf life. You should use oils made with health in mind that are protected, that are properly protected so that they retain their health benefits. And that's basically... What I'm best known for, the book is called uh, Fats That Heal, Fats That Kill, because they're two opposite stories. Yeah. And you have to understand which are the good ones and bring them in and which are the bad ones and leave them out. And uh, more health problems come from damaged oil than any other part of nutrition. More health benefits come from the oil change that your body needs than any other part of, than any other change you make in nutrition. You've just changed my life. My, my omegas are sitting in, in flaxseed oil, everything is sitting in a cabinet in there and not being refrigerated. Oh, yeah, um, no, no. Flaxseed oil was my first oil, by the way. That, I was just about to ask you about flaxseed oil. Yeah. So, yeah. But flax oil has a lot of omega-3, but not enough omega-6. I became omega-6 <clears throat> omega deficient on it. So I got dry eyes, skipped heartbeats, arthritis-like pain in my finger joints, yep. and thin papery skin. Those are classic omega-6 deficiency symptoms. Because of that... You know, I'm trying to help people get healthy. You know, my my juice, the juice for doing the oil project, it was a very, I was broke for 15 years. But it was like, if we could bring the missing omega-3s back and we could get them omega-6s made with health in mind, oh my God, we could help almost everybody. And I got so inspired. It's like, oh my God, there's something that feels good about helping people live better. It just feels good in the heart. And that's what drove that whole project. I didn't have any business background. <clears throat> Did I read that correct? You developed the first ever flaxseed oil? Yeah, that was my first oil. I developed the method for making oils with health in mind. Yeah. And then flax oil was the first oil. And then what several if, other people copied it. And, and uh, I was going to ask you the benefits for someone out there who's, who's you know, you mentioned omegas, but the yeah. flaxseed oil benefits from yeah. Benefit from omega-3 because they're 99% of the population doesn't get enough. Mm -hmm. Every cell needs them, which means, and there's somebody has summarized it that way. When you increase omega threes in your diet, provided they're not damaged and they don't contain toxins. When you increase omega threes in your diet, you can improve virtually every major degenerative condition of our time. Wow. Why? Because 99% yeah. of the population doesn't get enough. And I didn't say cure. I said improve. Because omega-3s will improve everything that comes from not getting enough omega-3s. And omega-3s won't improve anything else. And wh what do they do in the body? They're part of the cell membranes. So they speed up the reactions that the, the receptors in the cells can do. They're important for bone strength. They increase your stamina by 40 to 60% within a month of starting on a tablespoon per 50 pounds of body weight per day. I'm actually talking now about Udo's oil. That's what we used in the studies. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
which is a blend of uh, flax and other oils just so the balance is better so you don't become omega-6 deficient. Uh, they make your skin nice because omega-3 and 6 together form a barrier in the skin against the loss of moisture. You need more in winter when it's cold than in summer because you burn more for energy. Yep. But together they make your skin soft and velvety and if your skin is dry, you need more oils. Mm. Shows up in the desert and shows up in winter more than in humid climates or in the summer. But even, even in summer, people get dry skin. And, and why is that? Uh, why, why the skin? Because skin gets them last because they have functions in the other organs too. So nature says, give it to the other organs first because you can live with dry skin if you have to. But if your heart dried out, that would not, that would not work so good. Yeah. Or if your liver dried out, or if your kidneys dried out, or if your lungs dried out. So skin gets it last and loses it first. So when your skin is soft and velvety, you know that the rest of your body has what it needs. Yeah. This is like so, 101 right here. This, this is, this yeah. is great hearing all this. And you've also done some other stuff before we plug Udo's Choice. Yeah. Uh, but you create a probiotic fiber and greens blend. Yeah. Greens blends are, are out there. I'm, I'm sure there's so many. I hear so many that are, you know, yeah. floating around and also supplements for, for pets, which is which yeah. something that people do not. I think pet owners don't put a whole lot of research into it. It's let me get a can yeah. of Alpo and call it a day. You, but, do you have a pet? Oh, we have dogs. Yeah. Okay. So I worked with, uh, I worked with uh, dogs, cats, horses. Uh, we worked with Siegfried and Roy's white tigers. Remember those? Oh, yeah. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. So the oil that I'm talking about is a tablespoon per 50 pounds of body weight per day, mixed in food and intake spread out over the course of the day for humans. For dogs, it's a tablespoon per 100 pounds. And for horses, a tablespoon for 500 pounds. Okay. Because in grass, there's less... You know, dogs need more, get more fat in their diet. Humans get the most fat in their diet. We are the fat creature because our fat deposits under our skin are our fur. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't have hair to keep us warm. Fat keeps us warm. Yeah. So we need more, more fats than the other creatures, but they all, the omega-3 and omega-6 are essential for other creatures as well. And we saw amazing, re, re, you know, the doggy odors went away. They, if they had skin and hair problems, they went away. If they were old and stiff, that they become more flexible. If they had low energy, their energy improved. Horses, we had race horses that should have done well because their, uh, their lineage was good. Yeah. Their genetic lineage was good, but they weren't winning races. When we put them... When we gave them the essential fatty acids, omega-3 and 6, in the right ratio, 70% of those horses won their next race, either came first, second, or third on the next race they ran after they started getting their omegas. Wow. wow. Because in captivity, the horses only usually get, get uh, corn oil, which only has, omega, has, only has omega-6. But horses are actually omega-3 animals. There's more omega-3 in grass than there is omega-6. And they weren't getting it. So those horses are all deficient. And omega-3s increase metabolic rate, increase uh, oxygen uh, metabolism, increase energy levels. In our athletes, 
40 to 60% increase in energy within 30 days of taking a tablespoon per 50 pounds of body weight per day. And, uh, and, and the way we measure this before we start, they started taking the oil, they did their sport to exhaustion. And we measured what that was. And then 30 days later, we measured it again. 40 to 60% increase in stamina when they did their sport to exhaustion. We did it with boxers, we did it with uh, runners, we did it with cyclists, uh, we did it with bodybuilders and weightlifters, pretty much all the strength and endurance sports. Same, same, same. Omega-3s are the highest energy molecule of any of our molecules. And not only is it a high energy molecule that builds the fire that you want in your body that gives you your juice. Mm-hmm. But 20% of the oil is converted into other molecules, including molecules that keep the fire from, from burning you by controlling the sparks that it throws. You know, everything is supposed to be fire and spark control, yeah. right? So omega-3s do both. The only molecule I know that does both. You know, antioxidants and anti-inflammatory molecules um, uh, do the spark control and then carbs and fats and uh, even proteins, sugars, those contain, uh, those, those create the fire. Those are the fuels. The reason why white sugar and white flour increase inflammation is because in the processing, we pull out all the antioxidants and anti-inflammatories. So we get the fire, but we've taken away the spark control, a problem caused by processing. What do you think of coenzyme uh, Q10? I know it's one of the really expensive supplements that's out there. It is, it is very expensive. It is part of making energy. And it has a very good reputation, especially if you can get it in its reduced form, which is called QH or QNOL yeah. uh, or reduced coenzyme Q10. Yeah. But it's, it's very important uh, and uh, it's also helpful in any. It's part of the energy production system. Mm-hmm. It's called the cytochrome chain, part of the cytochrome chain where energy turns into ATP and water and carbon dioxide. Yeah. And it's one, it's one of the members of that chain. Okay. Yeah. So for listeners out there. But, but usually the body makes that. Yeah. 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 So it's not an essential nutrient, but it okay. can be helpful if you get more of it, especially as you get older and your, right. your body Healthy machinery. heart too. Yeah. Yeah. For Udo's Choice, tell our listeners about udoschoice.com. You got award-winning yeah. supplements over there. And then also tell them about your books. Okay, so udoschoice.com, uh, U-D-O-S choice.com. That's where we talk about the products. So we talk about the oil. We, we got three different varieties of it. But I also talk about digestion, which is the next most important not serviced area. And then we talk about uh, um, digestive enzymes. Mm. And digestive enzymes are really good in cold and flu season because they chew the protein coat off the viruses and then put the viruses out of commission. Yeah. So when I get something coming on, I take enzymes mm. immediately. That does a really good job because if they can't get into the cells, they can't make 200 copies of themselves and then look for 200 cells, more cells to infect. So we're picking them off before they even get in. Yeah. 
which is the smartest way to do it. And then we also takes a load off the digestive system, which frees the immune system for its other jobs. Because if a di digestion isn't working, your immune system has to get involved in digestion. And you make it, you then make it weaker to do its other jobs. And then we work with probiotics, which are friendly bacteria that uh, keep uh, unfriendly bacteria from wreaking havoc in your gut. And then we talk about greens. Greens are the foundation of everything. You know, even uh, the steak that you eat is made out of grass. So I like to say to people sometimes, you know, uh, your steak is just a more concentrated form of vegetable. <laughs> of course, the the the, the plant-based people sometimes don't like it, but that was my dinner I, tonight. I, I'm just I'm just making a point, right? Yeah. And uh, and that that's you know we talk about that, and then we talk about where some of the distributors are in other countries. Uh, we're in about 40 countries and uh and that's the uh yeah that's the udo's choice website i have another one where i talk more about the heart stuff and the human nature stuff and that one's called udo uh, the udo.com t-h-e-u-d-o.com and if you want to look me up anywhere just just punch in udo udo there are not a lot of udos on this planet so mine will come up very quickly in that there's a singer that'll come up but i think uh, i have i have more more prominence as Udo on the on Google than uh, anybody else. Yeah, we're gonna have the links in the episode description. Yeah. I, have a, have... And I, have, I have a YouTube channel, and I'm on Facebook, and I'm on. Oh, you're definitely Instagram. Out yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm. I've been out there for four. I, I've been. Yeah, I'm out there, but I'm yeah. also out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, out in the, out I mean, the the Google world. Yeah. One thing I want to ask you, but I, I almost forgot to ask you this before. Uh, winding up this episode talk to us about the importance of gut health gut health well you know uh i i heard somebody just yesterday saying mm -hmm. the brain is the most important organ in the body no it's not it's not your gut is the most important organ in your body and why is that let me give just to give you an example there's a jellyfish it's 250 million years old okay it doesn't have a brain at all but it has a really good digestive system and why is it the hardest working? Because every day, you know, you're throwing stuff in there, right? You know, once it's a chicken and then it's a rabbit and then it's a, a cow and then it's a horse, whatever it is you eat. And then it's broccoli and it's cabbage and it's potatoes and it's oils and you throw all of that in. It's all stuff that's made by other creatures. Mm -hmm. And then you have to break down those creatures into their basic building blocks, which are the same for all creatures. So chickens, chicken have the same amino acids they need and the same fatty acids they need, the same kind, and the same amino acids they need and the same minerals and vitamins they need. So what you're doing is you're, you're breaking down a creature into its building blocks. And you have to do that really well, because if you absorbed another creature's protein into your body, you would get an allergy or an, an, an immune reaction, or you could even get anaphylactic shock. So this has to be done very, very precisely. And it requires, first of all, we should have been eating raw foods. And in raw foods, enzymes do about on average 60% of the digestion for you if you chew your foods properly. It would be covered with probiotics because they 
govern the 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 bugs in your digestive tract right but when we cook the foods we destroy the enzyme we kill the probiotics so they need to be replaced mm-hmm. so uh so so if you want to fix digestion you, you do it with using digestive enzymes especially when you eat f- cooked foods or processed foods probiotics to replace the 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 friendly bacteria then there is fiber fiber makes everything work better and has antioxidant properties and it's good food for the friendly bacteria and then the last one is bitters bitters are herbs that are bitter that improve both a digestive and liver function if you got those four things in place then most of what problems you have in your digestive tract get solved yeah right now when you're not doing that and you're not paying attention you know you get burps and you get farts and you get diarrhea and you get constipation and you get get bad breath and you get stomach aches and you get bloating and you know so there's a lot going on because there's a lot going on yeah and so giving the digestive system the help that it needs to make sure that everything that nature provided our digestive system with is actually being provided and you so you have to make some choices and and get the supplements of enzymes and probiotics uh that will that will be very helpful for most of the conditions that happen that happen in the digestive tract what an episode this has been just (laughs) i mean incredible stuff that you've thrown out here I, i don't think i've ever had an episode where we've gone from world war ii to psychedelics to david koresh to <laughs> fish oils uh but this has been amazing but when whenever someone and we're going to have the links by the way for all of you listening in the episode yeah. description is going to have all of his links when someone mentions your name 50 years from now what do you want them to say about you actually you know what i don't care whether anybody remembers me or not what i care is that they remember themselves mm. and if if what i've done to to help people live more inspired more uplifted more lit up lives that'll be my legacy same light you know my body's gonna be dust water and and air you know my body's not gonna care but there's something about the fact that we were made to live lit up from within and are missing that is why that's such a incredibly I mean, in a way, I'm glad that people are not lit up because that makes me shine, <laughs> right? I could, I get to help, mm-hmm. right? But, but it would be okay if everybody was lit up. I would probably do a lot of singing and dancing. There you go. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. So, you know, uh, human, yeah, you know, nature and human nature, this planet is, is extraordinary, you know, and what's on it is extraordinary. And of all the things that are on it that are extraordinary, we're the ones who screw it up the most. And we could actually be unscrewing it up the most, but that requires us to to get fired up inside. Yeah. And that's always my hope. That's my hope for myself, and that's my hope for you, and that's my hope for the people who are listening and watching. And that's my hope for humanity because the chickens don't need help and the wolves don't need help. There's something that needs to be transformed within us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good way of kind of bringing it 
full circle to what we talked about earlier about it. Yeah, and by the yeah. way, if you ever want to go deeper into any of those topics, I'm I'm happy to come back and Oh, yeah, you you yeah. really sparked something when we got into the health piece here. Um so yeah. I have, I have a Tabor's dictionary laying around somewhere with a background in anatomy and physiology. So I love to sit here and talk more about this. Yeah, let's um, do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely welcome back. Folks, this has been a phenomenal episode. I mean, we went full circle from, you know, talking about being present inside to those final comments there. Check them out. Udoschoice.com. Have everything in the episode description. And make sure also that you subscribe to the Shadows Podcast on whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And if you really like what we're doing here, we do have some phenomenal guests lined up. Really, really good stuff. Head over to either Spotify, Apple Podcast, or theshadowspodcast.com. Leave us a five-star review. Let us know you like what we're doing. And trust me, those reviews help us get the word out there to other people uh, and all these positive messages spread. Just as the great philosopher Marky Mark said, spread positive vibes to each other. So that's exactly what we're trying to do here at The Shadows. And we'll see you next week with another episode of The Shadows Podcast. You know, most people go through life aiming at nothing and hit it with amazing accuracy. And they find themselves just feeling stuck in a rut, wondering if this is all there is. And I'm here to tell you, no, it is not. And life is too dang short to live it stuck in a rut. So check out beyondtherut.com and listen to episodes of other people who are also feeling stuck in a rut, asking themselves the same questions you are around their faith, their family, their fitness, their finances, and just their outlook on future possibility. And there, we hope that you are encouraged and inspired to make your own path and live life beyond the rut. So again, go check out beyondtherut.com where you can find blog posts and podcast episodes as well as some tools to help you design the targets you wish to hit in life in those five F's, faith, family, fitness, finances, and future possibility. Because again, life is too dang short to live it stuck in a rut. Now go check it out. Beyond the rut. <laughs> <laughs> that is done. It's yours. <laughs>